0: So a good way of training uh, mindfulness is to become aware of and focus on the breath as it enters and leaves. Or we could recite the word "Buddha" uh, with the breath. That's fine as well. If there's a lot of thinking going on, then we can count uh, with the breath and we count in pairs. So as the breath enters, we count one as it leaves, one. And then two, two, three, three, up until five. And we go back to one and start counting in pairs until we reach six. And carry on doing this uh, progressively, uh, one to seven, one to eight, until we reach ten. If we forget or we don't know which number we're up to, then we begin again anew. But as we are watching the breath, we don't control it uh, as well. If we do feel like the mind naturally wants to control the breath, then we can try counting quickly with each in-breath and out-breath. So as the breath comes in, we count one, two, three, four, five, and as it leaves, one, two, three, four, five. Uh, but we have to adjust that number to suit ourselves. So for some people, they might count up to four, others, six or seven. Or we could use the word buddho and carry on reciting Buddha with the breath as it enters and leaves until Buddha disappears all by itself in the mind enters into stillness and peace. Why is it that we have to use these methods? it's because our minds like to recollect other things. They like to think about the past and the future, things that um, haven't come up yet. But when we do that, then that affects our present moments, we lack peace here and now. We may think about the happiness that we may experience in the future, but our hearts lack calm now because of that. So we need to build the path to peace, this path of sila, samadhi and banya. And the fastest way of walking along that path is just simply to let go. So the heart um, has attachment to a sense of self. And so we abandon that. We let go of me and others, um, beings, animals. Because if we attach to this, then suffering will arise. But if we don't have any clinging to a self, we won't have any suffering. So we know uh, intellectually that If there is no clinging, then there won't be suffering. So why is it that our hearts still attach? Why is it that even though we've uh, studied meditation, that we know attaching to the body, uh, which is just a collection of elements, brings us difficulty, why do we still go and attach to it? Doctors and nurses have studied medicine um, and they give us this information that the organs all work together and this produces life in the body. And even if the mind doesn't want for the body to live any longer, if the organs are still functioning well, then the body will stay on. But if the mind wants for the body to live, the the organs stop functioning well, if the heart stops beating, then we will die just the same. So even though some people may uh, take leave of one another in preparation for death, but some people, they don't have the opportunity to do that. Their lives just stop suddenly. But that can be a good thing as well because they don't experience much pain before death. Others, however, have to just wait for nature to take its course um, to allow the body to uh, degenerate following nature. So we know clearly, um, or we know intellectually already, our memory tells us that these things are not self. But why is it that our hearts don't believe that? It's because that knowledge hasn't gone in deep enough. The truth isn't there within our hearts. But when we see the Dhamma, then we do see that truth. At the beginning, however, our studies have to work on the basis of memory. Um, And we will study things like anger, like greed, hatred, and delusion. But what happens in the scriptures uh, can be quite different to what happens in our experience. And the truth of these defilements is right with us all the time. Perhaps we know people who have had great uh, pain through problems with their teeth. They've had a lot of suffering that comes up. and We may try and comfort them or try to teach them and say, just bear with it, bear with it. And this pain, it's inconstant, it won't last. But when we experience that for ourselves, it's something different entirely. We know exactly what that pain is like. the pain travels along the nerves and it reaches our ears even. And sometimes if we've had a tooth pulled out or we've had a root canal, uh, then we can even feel a heart beating in the place where that tooth was. When the tooth is there, we don't feel it. But when it's taken out, then we can clearly Feel the heart beating uh, as it, as that heart beat hits the nerves uh, where the tooth used to be. So suffering is waiting right in front of us. As children, we use our teeth uh, for various things, but we don't see the truth of uh, the inconstancy, the instability the pain there within these teeth, within our bodies, that really they are uncertain. We can't rely upon them. There's also this dukkha vedana, these painful feelings that are within our hearts. And all of the happiness we've felt, all of the sadness that we've felt, where is that now? It's all passed away. It's all disintegrated, disappeared following its nature. If the causes for happiness and sadness arise, then those qualities will come up in the heart. And the cause for suffering is this uh, ignorance, not knowing what we should know, and upadana, attachment. This is what brings up suffering. Suffering. So to summarize, uh, the suffering comes because of the attachment we have in the five khandhas, in uh, form, in feeling, in memory or perception, in mental formations and in consciousness. So we know that the Rupakanda is these bodies, uh, but it actually extends towards all material things as well. That's all rupakhandha. And rupa is something which is of the nature to uh, disintegrate, to degenerate, that over time uh, it will disappear. So all physical things are this rupakanda, whether it's mountains, rivers, trees, a dhamma hall or a jetty, These are all material objects, uh, but these things don't have consciousness uh, occupying them. It's only the bodies of beings that do have consciousness that comes along as well. So when there's the consciousness along with the body, then you'll be able to feel different sensations, feel pleasurable feelings or painful feelings, and the consciousness will receive that. But this too is sankhara, it's a conditioned phenomena. It's something that's inconstant and something that will have to fade as well in accordance with nature. So we see people all the time who are old, who are sick, and we see people die and pass away. But why is it that we still don't know clearly about these things? This is all around us. We see it every single day. It's present within our breath. The breath arises. It lasts for a bit, and then it ceases. And then a new breath comes in. So when it's with us constantly, why don't we see it well? Because our hearts are lacking peace and that calm is not firmly established. And when we don't have this calm, when we don't have enough mindfulness, then it's impossible for wisdom to arise. So the Buddha taught uh, that we should keep our sila well uh, to begin with that we have faith in virtue, in keeping the sila. We don't kill any living beings, but it's still okay to eat eat meat. That's right as well, just as long as we don't order for that animal to be killed. But uh, conversely, we Take the opportunity at times, maybe it's our birthday or the birthday of some relatives, to release animals, whether it's fish or crabs or cows. Uh, We help to extend their lives. We cultivate kindness and compassion towards them. Um, And some people release many, many animals uh, throughout their lives. We think of only kind thoughts, and we don't have any ill will or wishing to hurt any beings. Because we know that the lives of all beings, uh, were all animals um, just want to experience happiness. They don't want to feel any suffering. And it's very few the number of animals who manage to make it out of the traps that they're caught in, make it out of the cages, or to be freed from the slaughterhouse that they were otherwise destined to. And it shows that they've got a lot of merits, a lot of barami, that they can be released like this as well. And also the people who release them are developing much merit too. It shows that we have kindness, that we have compassion. And also we are extending our own lives too through the act of helping to extend the lives of other beings. And just like if we harm animals that shortens our life. Or if we inflict pain upon animals, then we will experience illness within our body. So too, if we help out uh, living beings, then we will experience the fruits of that. So when we have kindness and compassion, we will also have virtue. So the first precept I've talked about, the second is that of not stealing. We also take care around our speech. And um, don't drink any alcohol or take drugs because that causes our life to become confused and chaotic, such as when people uh, drive while they're drunk. There's a lot of pain, a lot of difficulty that can come from that. So when we keep the five precepts well, we're restrained within these precepts then that care we take for virtue will come back and care for us. It will look after us. Even if we're angry, we don't speak on that emotion. We have to struggle against it. But sometimes it can be very difficult, especially when our bodies are in pain or sick. And when people get very old, then it's natural for the body to be quite painful. Um, so what that shows us is that we should train ourselves in mindfulness from a young age. Because if, as a youngster, these people never train themselves, then when they're old and there are a lot of painful feelings uh, pervading the body, there's painful feelings both in the body and in the mind. And it's very difficult uh, for mindfulness to be able to keep up with all of that Uh, suffering that they're experiencing. We can go through a lot of physical pain when old age comes to us. It can be quite torturous. We may take medicines or drugs to relieve that pain, take various painkillers, but when those uh, medicines uh, run out or their effect gets lost, then the pain comes up again. We may not be able to sleep because of it. So we see these things and we hear about them. Um, But it's one thing hearing about it, another thing experiencing it. But one day it's likely that we will have to go through this. And just like uh, before, I had listened to Gumpur Cha talk about the toothache that he went through and how much what agony that was and so he had uh, some problems with a few of his teeth uh, but he told the dentist to just pull the whole lot out to pull all 32 of his teeth out in one go the doctor didn't want to do that but um, But Mpucha was up for it, and who else would dare to do something like that? Mpucha saw already the harm and the danger in these bodies um, in the teeth, he saw that they weren't really good things, so he told the dentist to pull them all out, and they'd be replaced with false teeth. But 15 days after that, he couldn't eat anything. We see what great mindfulness he had, the strength of his samadhi, that he was able to put up with all of that pain. There was probably some painkillers that he took as well, but the agony of having thirty-two teeth pulled out all at once must have been incredible. And the nerves uh, took that pain all the way to his brain. So suffering is waiting are just ahead of us. Therefore, we must train ourselves now, develop mindfulness, develop samadhi, while our bodies are still strong. Some parents, they have the wisdom to teach their children, even from a very young age, to teach them how to chant, how to meditate. Anandapindika at the Buddhist time did this as well. He had a son who just wouldn't go to listen to the Dhamma. He was very stubborn. He wasn't interested at all. But he found a skillful means to get his son to go. And just like nowadays, uh, rich people may kind of bribe their children to go and listen to the Dhamma. They may say that. If they go to the monastery many times, listen to many dharma talks, they'll give their son a Ferrari. And that's what Ananda Pindaka did as well. He bribed his son to go to the monastery. Maybe he said, well, if you listen to one dharma talk, then I'll give you a wheel. If you listen to another one, I'll give you a second wheel, a third and a fourth wheel, and slowly add the bits of the car together until after one or two years, it would have the entire car. Maybe nowadays the parents may give their children 20 baht or 50 baht, 100 baht uh, for every dharma talk they listen to. So if the parents uh, have wisdom, then they can find some means of getting their children to enter the monastery. So when we have mindfulness and we know about samadhi, then We can teach the others around us as well. But we need skillful means as well in our teaching to get others to uh, develop peaceful states of mind. So that's what Ananda Pindika did to his child. And uh, he listened to the Dhamma until he became enwrapped in it. He was able to understand and see into that truth, all the way to reaching the stage of sotapanna. His father had agreed to give him an award. Maybe it was a, a chariot, which may be similar to a Ferrari these days. But because his son had gained this noble wealth in his own heart, he wasn't interested in that physical reward anymore his faith was well established uh, and he saw the great goodness of his father that he had gotten him to go to the monastery. So when our children become established in faith and they'll see our goodness as well, that we have shown them the path to this faith, to efforts that will lead us to peacefulness, lead us to create goodness in our lives. So when we have this sincerity in practicing meditation, we must also understand that sometimes uh, we'll gain peace and sometimes not, and that's just natural. And that's what I experienced as well. When I was a layperson, I'd meditate Oftentimes I would feel peace and the mind would be very cool and spacious, but as soon as I got up, that peace would disappear. I'd feel all the different emotions I had before, like anger, and I had to endure with that to try not to shout at people or uh, express my anger through my words. I realized I had greed, so I tried to... Uh, balance that or try to cure that uh, through the act of generosity, through giving and being charitable. I saw that there's just no point in keeping all of my wealth for myself because one day I would have to die. So surely then it's better to use that wealth to create goodness and merit. I thought like this, um, and this came from seeing into the impermanence and changing nature of physical things. So that the lay people who come have kindness and compassion to give uh, a portion of their wealth. We also chant, we listen to the Dhamma. And when our minds come together, then we'll see into the nature of reality, see that all physicality uh, is inconstant, is stressful, is not self. And this means that we've understood the Dhamma. At that point, we also see vedana, feeling, arising and ceasing, arising and ceasing. There's also memories that come up, the sannya, sometimes the good memories, sometimes the bad memories. And none of us want to recollect bad things or to uh, think bad thoughts. We just want to remember the good things, but we can't really control that process. When these memories come up, then we shouldn't get averse to them because that will just cause us to suffer. So we don't... Uh, become angry at bad memories that we have. We don't hate them and we also don't become deluded in the good memories that we may recollect because we know that all of this is of the nature to arise, last for a while and cease. So this sankara, uh, mental formations, is the same thing. It arises and ceases, and sometimes we think good thoughts and sometimes bad thoughts. And all number of things can arise in the mind. Anything can come in. But we just know what's happening. We have mindfulness over it. We tell ourselves uh, that these thoughts are not sure. They're inconstant. But if we go and attach to them, um, then we'll take it as a self. And this process of clinging happens very quickly, It's a very speedy process. And we'll take everything in terms of ego. We'll take it all personally. We can ask ourselves, well, what about these things is a self? What can we find within them that's a self? We'll see we won't be able to find anything there. So, when the mind thinks of something, we usually attach to that. That attachment happens through ignorance. But we should also try to let go of it as well. Maybe we get angry and we want to uh, hurt someone, we want to shout at someone. But we should try to let that feeling go before that happens. So even sotapanas get angry, but they don't have ill will. They don't wish to harm. And they're able to control their emotions uh, to a certain degree, able to keep sila with purity. So it's important we just carry on training ourselves and do this often, to have mindfulness, to... uh, develop states of samadhi so that wisdom arises. When we do this, we are developing the path that will lead us to peace. And so just as we've all come to what Watmapjana, following a certain path, and then when we arrive here, we know that this monastery is real and that path does actually take us there, but all of us, all of you, have to go back home as well. And so for Sotapanas, they see into emptiness, this pure emptiness. They're able to abandon wrong view and see into not-self. Uh, but the mind also has to retract uh, from that experience of nirvana as well. In the Buddha's time, there were huge numbers of people who could attain to uh, this level of sotapanna. So for us, it's something that we should try to do as well. It's something possible in this time too. We develop our parami. And this can get done both as a child and as an adult. It's possible for a child of 13 or 14 to contemplate into the Dhamma Um, to reflect upon Dhamma every single day, to see all things as inconstant, as not sure to be teaching themselves in this way. And maybe they can even teach adults about the Dhamma, because it's not just grown-ups who are able to understand the Dhamma. There are many seven-year-olds who have attained to noble fruits. So we should train ourselves, take this opportunity and time that we have to train ourselves and contemplate into vinyana as well, into consciousness. There's something that's quite difficult to see, however, because the process of consciousness happens so quickly. And When a thought arises, then that will be received uh, by this consciousness. But we also need to bring up uh, the one who knows, this knowing nature, to look at consciousness and understand that it is inconstant, that it does change. But this is quite difficult to do. We come back to physicality, seeing that as something that's not sure, that changes. And if we just see that, then we'll see into the Dhamma. So we train ourselves today um, and use the merits that we have gained um, as an offering to the Krubhajan uh, whose birthday it is tomorrow, that Mumpo uh, Samchai will be turning 64 years old and he's had to pass over and through many obstacles in his life to meet with tigers and ghosts. Uh, but he was able to get through all of this and uh, use his time in the robes as an offering to the Buddha, the Dhamma and the Sangha. Until his heart gained the energy that he could see into the danger and the harm and the cycle of birth and death. So for us, we give Anamodana, we express the joy, the joy that we have in the goodness that he has created in his life. And we also build up goodness. We uh, practice in devotion to the Buddha, the Dhamma and the Sangha as well. So may all of you grow in the Dhamma.